Hello, welcome to another episode, just a wonderful episode of The Underpaid and The Underqualified, where at this point, if you don't know what we do, I'm too lazy to explain it, and you're probably not going to get on board at this point, because how many other podcasts are there? So here we are. How's it going, Jeff? <laughs> doing fine, but you know, some, something that I noticed, at least during this pandemic, is that everybody has effectively become a content creator. So there's definitely a lot more people out there right now that are producing their own content for uh, whether it be Twitch streaming or their own podcast. And definitely somebody has come out to me and asked, Hey, how did you like become a thing and stuff like that? And, um, either way, but no, uh, there's a, with this pandemic, there's even more so nowadays. Yeah, exactly. It's, I don't know. I mean, what else is there to do some days? Um, some days, like you just, when you can't, you know, do things like see a movie or like go to a concert, I don't know. Why not start a podcast? I guess. Yeah. That's the only, there's, our options are limited, but uh, funny enough that I mentioned seeing a movie. Uh, guess what I did yesterday, Joe? What'd you do, Vince? Did you watch a movie? That's actually exactly what I did. I don't know how you possibly could have known that. Maybe we prepped a little bit before this episode, but we don't really prep ever, do we? Egad. <laughs> Willikers. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, yeah, saw a movie yesterday. And uh, for this time of the year, what is it? September 27th, 2020. That's not super common, uh, as you know, for most of the year. Since about, I don't know, what, March through now, movie theaters have been, you know, off obsolete, kind of offhand. Just for obvious reasons that if, uh, you know, deadly pandemic is happening, that a breeding ground from germs is a boxed area where people are sitting close to each other and eating and you know movie theaters are kind of seen as gross a lot of times right with the floors being sticky and like food getting left over and i don't know people coughing and sneezing left and right so uh yeah i don't know why i i've heard like like many things with this pandemic you always hear different things on like okay now this is open wait no it's not really open now restaurants are closed now they're open so it's kind of unclear exactly what's open I thought movie theaters are supposed to be open around like June. I thought somebody said that. And then I was like excited, like, oh, this is perfect. This is right around my birthday. Movie theaters will be open again. And uh, yeah, it didn't happen. And then randomly in our last episode, when you were talking about Mulan, I looked up movie theaters and then just noticed one in Napa, which is like, I don't know, an hour away from where I live. Uh, you know, it's wine country. That's kind of the main thing to do there. <laughs> I had a movie theater. So I was like, wow, is this real? And then I called and they're like, yeah, just wear a mask and, you can still like have snacks and everything. So uh, I don't know. It's pretty cool too. Cause um, I don't think a lot of people know about it at this point. Cause uh, since I noticed that one movie theater, more movie theaters been opening. I'd say there's about like 10 to 15 in the Bay area. And uh, I think just not enough people know. Cause every time I've been, it's like super desolate and barren, <laughs> which that's, I don't know. Do you have a prefer, you prefer the uh, like, empty movie theaters i'd assume right joe you don't want the noisy like annoying like people talking all over the movie kind of vibrate so i think right now going back on what well, you kind of opened a huge can of worms but um or you really address a lot of topics so like with movie theaters right now it really depends on the state and county so like when i'm streaming sports right it's probably being streamed from a different part of the country and so i was watching i think a football game and some of the commercials were coming in a southern accent so I'm like, chances are this is not being streamed from California. And so and when like, they're doing uh, uh, movie commercials, they're saying movie theaters now open. And so definitely different states have it open. I know because I'm still technically part of the AMC A-lister plan, I got a few email updates saying, oh, we're going to open in, um, I don't remember, July. And then, no, we're pushing it back to September. Now October is around the corner. They haven't officially opened nor have they charged my card. And if they do, I'm going to be really pissed. But um, yeah, so I know it definitely depends. And when you said Napa, I didn't know it was, whatchamacallit, it was uh, any theaters in California were showing movies. So it wasn't until last time we had our uh, Mulan episode where you said that, oh, Napa's a thing. I'm like, what? what? Nobody really knew about it because people only know Napa just for wine, right? Yeah, exactly. And it just, I, well, factoring into what you said about like the different areas have different protocols, like totally. Yeah, I get that. But like, even in California, the Bay area, I heard people say that like movie theaters were like accepted to be open around June, but then it didn't happen. And then like rates went back up and then they're like, okay, it's not happening. So I don't know. There's just a lot of mixed information is the point. Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of plan by ear right now, but um, yeah, sorry. So what was your other question? 
uh your movie theater environment you like it when it's empty right like you don't want a whole bunch of people like especially now but like back in the day like if you saw a big movie like i get the impression you're the type of person that like even if it's a big blockbuster you would be totally happy seeing it like in an empty theater just like free of people like talking and chatting uh so it depends so i remember one of my best movie theater experiences ever was the first transformers movie premiere so i went to that um (laughs) that's so surprising i would never guess transformers because it was great because the whole crowd was into it people were cheering at the right moments uh people were throwing random stuff in the air for some random reason just to kill time right this is during before the movie started um so one of my fondest memories was uh we had a beach ball going right so people were just hitting and tossing it and then at one point somebody popped it and i was like oh that sucked all right whatever right and in the middle of the movie you just saw a deflated uh beach ball fly through like the screen so it's like those moments where it's like that's really fun but then um so if it's like if i was watching avengers right those moments were great and i noticed for some reason like i never got that same movie theater experience again um watching premieres and such and Funny thing, ever since then, my only movie premieres were all in NorCal. Huh. Anyways, so um You try to draw a connection, you say movie theaters in NorCal suck. <laughs> I'm just saying that I never had such a fun time. And then whenever I'm here, I'm like, why are people it became more like why are people talking at unnecessary times and they won't shut up? And so this goes on to the point where it's like, all right, I guess it depends on the movie. If it's like one of those superhero what uh, sus- not suspense, but um action movies right then it's fun yeah um then but if it's something like serious movies um shoot what's that movie where everything was shot in one uh one kind of like take take birdman huh or uh well there's two there's birdman that was like a few years ago with michael keaton and then there's uh 1917 the war movie yeah 1917 so when i saw that right like i do not expect a single freaking person to say anything unless it's like a gasp (laughs) or something during a shocking moment right yeah even if they do it's probably a loud movie for a lot of it right (laughs) so yeah so if i'm watching that then like i expect the theater to like be quiet but if i'm watching something like a horror or like uh another marvel movie then i expect some cheering or some screaming or some laugh or like more rebuxious crowd yeah i think it just depends on the theater because your transformers experience was the exact same experience that i had uh with avengers endgame except you know that's obviously a much better movie (laughs) uh where actually they did have wow, like, low blow vince we all know it's true look at the, ask anyone look at the run tomato score we'd all agree it's but, a different um, time it's a different decade even accounting for the different time standards i think we can all agree it's better movie, one of the best effects movie ever anyways shia labeouf is doing fine he's got that even stevens money he was minus, on that. minus your random low blow vince <laughs> i did a karate kid uh sweep the leg um yeah, so Avengers Endgame. Yeah, they actually, when I saw it, I saw it at the uh, Oakland Theater, Grand Lake Theater, which is uh, right near where I live. You know, just giving, unnecessarily giving too much information out, because why not? Uh, yeah, I saw it right near where I live, and there was, like, balls in the audience being, like, thrown, and everyone was, like, waiting in line, like, outside for, like, hours before the movie started. Everyone's super excited. And then, like, fun stuff would happen, like, right when uh, the first scene um jeremy when uh hawkeye's family disappears and they show that happening somebody in the crowd was like fuck you thanos like said it like just shit like that was kind of funny so i think that like seeing the big moments like like you know that everyone remembers remembers like uh captain america getting the hammer and then like tony stark doing the final snap i think everybody was cheering like so much that you get more into it so I don't know. I think that experience that you mentioned with Transformers, you can find just depends on the theater. It's not really a NorCal versus SoCal thing, but uh, I don't know. I think comedies too also largely depend on the crowd. Like I've left comedies thinking they're a lot funnier when I see it in a big crowd and then I'll see the exact same comedy with a smaller crowd. And then, you know, just obviously due to smaller crowd, they don't laugh as much and then leave thinking like, was that, was that movie as funny as I thought it was? I don't know. So yeah. Similar experience? <laughs> For comedies, I would say, I don't know, I haven't seen a comedy in a theater in forever. Um, just because I feel like with trailers, they pretty much say the jokes, the good jokes, like they're better jokes in the trailers. So when you watch the actual movie, sometimes they may cut certain scenes out. And I noticed that. And I feel like that's a lot more prominent in comedies for some reason. Or at least like basically a lot of the more um, movies that are not taking it seriously. And 
when I end up watching these comedies, it's, oh, I'm, I'm expecting more jokes, right, of that same quality. And when I get there, sit down, it's not the same, and it becomes very – it's not pleasurable anymore. And so I haven't really seen any comedies, and most comedies nowadays are kind of just a cash grab. Well, you just sucked all the fun out of comedy movies for me, John. Geez, now I feel like I can never watch one again. <laughs> You're welcome. No, I, well, honestly, there haven't been that many since. Uh, I've talked about that how there haven't been like many like good comedies. You know, like Seth Rogen and Will Ferrell used to be kind of like making movies every other month. It felt like back in like high school and whatnot. And now, yeah, now it, I feel like the last good comedy I saw was Game Night. Did you ever see that one? Haven't. I thought about it. I wanted to, but I didn't. But her is actually not that bad. No, it's pretty good. I think it's cool because it's like uh, a reviewer brought this up that it's like kind of cool seeing a comedy with a bigger budget because you can tell like looking at it production wise and visually that it's got a bigger budget. And uh, I don't know, you don't usually see that a lot of comedies feel like they have to be like low budget to kind of have that raw funny vibe to them. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it was good. It's uh, the same guy that did Horrible Bosses. Did you see or the same two directors? Did you see that? Yes, I've seen the first one. I don't recall the second one. Ah, well, funny enough, he was on uh, Freaks and Geeks. The kid, in the younger brother in Freaks and Geeks directed both Horrible Bosses and um, uh, Game Night. <laughs> nice. Yeah, fun fact. Um, I'm excited for Borat, though. I haven't seen the first one. I kind of want to watch the first one because it seemed funny. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's a comedy. Yeah, I did hear about that. He like already like made the entire sequel, and it's supposed to be coming out soon or something. Yeah, something like that. So it's like, oh, now I want to go watch the first one so I can watch the second one. Yeah, I fucked up with the Sasha Baron Cohen movies. I missed Borat, too, for some reason. I think it's probably because I was, uh, I don't know, young and my parents wouldn't let me see it. But uh, I saw <laughs> the stupid midnight premiere of Bruno. That was one of the most, that was one of the worst movies you could, like, actually waste your sleep and, like, wait in line at the midnight premiere to see. <laughs> okay, yeah, so that was the one I did see, too. And then when I talked to people about it, People told me Borat was better than Bruno. Borat was like uh, anti-PC funny. Bruno yeah. was... Just make you uncomfortable funny. Yeah, it was kind of just like, what is this? What am I watching? Yeah. Uh, Dictator was kind of getting close to the Borat where it was like, this is not PC funny anymore. Or, this is like, yeah, not PC funny. Yeah, I think Dicta I like Dictator personally. I saw it once, granted, so maybe if I saw it again, I might change my opinion. But I remember thinking there were distinctly really funny moments. And I liked that it was a story rather than, like, Borat and Bruno were kind of both, like, mockumentaries a little bit. So this was an actual story of, like, a ridiculous character. Um, yeah, so I thought Dictator was good, too. Yeah, I know he's done a few th movies since then, too, but uh, I haven't really seen him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Borat, too, I guess we'll see. You're going to see that, I guess? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, I don't even know how to watch a movie nowadays. People are like, it's on demand. What does on demand mean? Is that like a thing like for people who don't have cable or my <laughs> landlord has cable, but I don't know how to turn on his TV because he has like four different remotes. But, um, so it's, it's when they say on demand, like, is that like a network thing or is that like which stream service? Cause I think Apple TV is making major push for certain movies and such like that. Yeah. So right now, because we have so many different stream services, like you can only watch Mulan legally on Disney Plus. So hmm. what exactly is on demand? Is that like the button you push for like uh, Comcast or like satellite? Is that all the same thing? Is that all different? I don't know. That used to be a thing when I was using my ca uh, parents' cable package. On demand used to be a thing of like, I don't know, special. It was kind of like this special vortex outside of like regular TV channels that you could see stuff. But yeah, I kind of never got into it super specifically. So I don't really know either. But this is probably one of those things like we should know, but then because like our parents were like either too cheap or they just like couldn't afford it kind of thing. And then now <laughs> because there's so many different versions of like everybody's trying to compete in this major market share that's like, I don't know what that does. Yeah. But I'm afraid that's going to charge my credit card. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because taking a minor, minor left turn to dating apps, uh, talking about credit card, I just got an email that uh, I'm getting, there's a class action lawsuit against Bumble for some, uh, I don't know, not super clear info on their dating thing. So I've gotten like four emails telling me that I'm like pro uh, possibly going to get money for it. And the big whopping amount is somewhere between $68 and $129. So can't wait to start a business and retire off that. 
Actually, that's a lot more money than most lawsuits that I apply for. Usually I get anywhere between like a few cents to a couple bucks. The best is when they give you a gift card because that's actually substantial. But huh, that's interesting. I would prefer money because then I'm like gift card. I can only use this for one thing. And then money, like, I don't know. The possibilities are endless, man. Okay, so I have like three gift cards right now for like Kohl's and uh, Banana Republic, but I don't really need anything from them right now. So yeah, yeah exactly. you're right. It's like, I, I'm not using it, but at the same time, the amount that they gave me was at least a little bit more gratifying than $2.50 what I've gotten before. Yeah, that's true. I've also gotten five emails from the same thing about Bumble. So I'm like, does that mean for each email I get between $68 and 129 or is this just a one, one statement thing? Not sure, but I don't know. Fun fact. But uh, anyways, going back on track, um, I think they should put Borat 2 on uh, Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Can you imagine how hilarious that would be? Either the sales will for the membership will go up or go ex- – a lot of them will be canceling. I think it would just be all the kids who – you know, like growing up, it's kind of a fun thing, like seeing an R-rated movie before your parents will let you. This will be that – Disney Plus will allow kids to do that <laughs> if they have Borat 2. Oh, that would be great. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, anyways, okay, going back to the main theme of the episode. I never mentioned uh, the actual movie I saw yesterday, did I, Joe? No. I don't, I don't think I did, at least. Um, uh, yeah, no, we haven't brought it up yet. Yeah, you know what it was? Uh, That's right, New Mutants, the new X-Men movie. Wait, isn't <laughs> that final? out? No, nah, it actually is out, yeah. <laughs> Finally came out. Oh, yeah, I heard it was like trash or something. Anyways, what the yeah. actual movie you saw. Yes, that was not the actual movie I saw. The actual movie I saw was a little indie film called Tenet by a little indie director called Christopher Nolan. Uh, I think we've all heard of him at this point. Uh, He's kind of making his name uh, as probably one of the best directors of all time. That's what I would say, at least. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd say he's definitely up there. I think his movies are very substantial. Yeah, I think when you're a director and it feels like an event, anytime you make a movie, that's how you know you're like in the top, like not just of today, but possibly all time. Like, I feel like whenever Quentin Tarantino makes a movie, it's an event. You know what I mean? Like people are like, oh, a new Quentin Tarantino is coming out. And then it's the same thing with Christopher Nolan. At least that's how I feel. Like whenever there's a new Christopher Nolan movie, I think it's like a big thing to get excited for because you know what you're in for. You know, it's not going to be like a simple uh, cookie cutter kind of plot with kind of basic characters that lack any depth. You know, there's going to be some confusing, trippy, complicated, unique premise that you haven't seen before. And Hans Zimmer most likely doing the soundtrack and um, like beautiful visuals and just kind of interesting characters, A-list kind of actors. Um, That's kind of how I expect it. Do you have a similar feel on Christopher Nolan too? I definitely know it's one of those things where it's like, all right, it's probably going to be nominated for something. It's definitely uh, whatever movie that he's making, it's something that I can watch with like, my family kind of thing where I'm like, my mom is going to walk out and say that was it kind of thing. Where I was like, Oh, that was like what you said, stunning um, visuals uh, um, and all that. Yeah. Deep plots. <laughs> uh, yeah. Something A-list. with substance. Yeah, exactly. No. Nah, and I, what I like about him too is variety. You know, he doesn't make the same movie. He's not Michael Bay. He doesn't make the same exact movie over and over. Like, like I like that each movie that he does has a different theme, which we can go into later. But uh, specifically with Tenet, do you know much about it? I know absolutely jack squat about it. So I actually think that's the perfect way to go into this movie because even if you read a lot about it before, um, you probably wouldn't understand it because it's a, it's a really confusing movie. And I don't know if you've heard that, but um, yeah, this movie clocks in at about two and a half hours and uh, stars John David Washington. Um, this is the first role I've seen him in. I know he's been in a few other things apparently, but he is the son of Denzel Washington. Uh, got a really slick beard, so I really got to give him props for that. It's very clean, very trimmed. Um, who else? Robert Pattinson, the guy who uh, is going to play Batman. Um, funny enough, was working with Christopher Nolan when it was announced that he was going to play Batman. <laughs> so kind of cool mix there. They kind of like talked about it a little bit apparently. Um, uh, Kenneth Branagh, do you know who oh, he is? Like Barb Pattinson actually talked with, uh, uh, Christopher Nolan about it. Yeah. Cause it was announced that, uh, he was going to be, uh, Batman when Chris, Robert Pattinson was working with Chris filming Tenet. So kind of cool. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan's giving him his like positive words saying he's excited and think he's going to do great in the role. So if Christopher Nolan's saying it, it has to be true. Yeah. So no, no need to worry internet. It's all going to be okay. Um, but uh, Kenneth Branagh, are you familiar with him? No, I'm not. 
Well, he played the villain. Um, he's been in a few other things. Uh, of course, don't remember what, but if you Google him, he's a, he's a good actor. Um, yeah, so this movie, uh, I think it's kind of the closest thing into Chris Nolan's take on time travel, but not really time travel. It's more like, I shouldn't actually say time travel. It's like Christopher Nolan's version of if you would talk about that. So it's not like a Doctor Who messy, let's go back in time here. Let's change the rules of time here. Let's not do anything. Um, with a clear rule here just for fun obviously Christopher Nolan's gonna apply some complicated kind of physics to it um, and basically it's kind of dealing with the principle of reversing polarity so like say like in the example in the movie like somebody shoots a gun and then they tell him all right go take that gun and go shoot that target so then the character does it and he's like wait no the the bullet, the gun is empty and then he's like and then she's like no just try to shoot anyway so then he tries to shoot and instead of the uh, bullet coming from the gun the bullet uh, goes back to the gun from the target even though he is just shooting it so it's like he's doing the action of shooting a gun but the bullet comes to the gun so um, yeah and then they he checks the chamber and then there's a bullet in the chamber it's no longer empty so it's essentially just like taking moments like that you can there's certain chemicals that you can like reverse polarity on things so obviously that kind of makes it very complicated to kind of wrap your mind around watching it, especially when you get like big car chases and scenes and like characters who are entirely reversing time. So that's kind of like interesting to wrap your mind around. You don't exactly know like what's the right thing for characters to do. Um, and on top of that, it's, I think the dialogue is, it's like kind of like a spy movie in that the dialogue's very short, very terse. So like characters will be talking, they'll meet somebody new and the, dialogue will only go on for 30 seconds because they're so quick and like to the point with what they're talking about that uh you have to really keep up and kind of understand why what they're talking about what's like they're not gonna like they're not gonna over explain the plot details you know so um based on that it's uh definitely a hard movie to follow but i think it's challenging in the right way you know there's certain challenging where it's just kind of like the director didn't even know what he was doing when he made this and then said, oh, I'm just trying to challenge audiences and it's some artistic bullshit. But I think Christopher Nolan actually made a challenging movie in the right way where it really does kind of force you to kind of think deeper, but in a complicated way, but in a cool way that kind of like ups the ante for what you can do in a movie. So I don't know, highly recommend myself. I give it, you know, two thumbs up, four stars, 10 out of 10. Um, I don't know. What do you think based on what I've said and what you've seen in the movie? You think you'll see it, Joe? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, it's worth a shot, right? Because, well, one, you have Christopher Nolan who has an amazing track record with uh, Dunkirk, with um, the what he's done with Batman, what he's also created with uh, Interstellar, and what's the other one? Inception. Yeah. I was like, what's the other I word? But yeah, so <laughs> yeah, he's definitely done some interesting stuff and definitely like the whole idea of like REM sleep, the idea of, uh, of taking... Uh, what was it astro theoretical astrophysics for interstellar? I mean, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, I think, uh, not many, it's kind of a shame too because I feel like there was a whole like thought the kind of rumor was that Christopher Nolan, uh, when they were talking about when they were going to release Tenet, it was right in the middle of the pandemic and he kept kind of committing to dates that people were skeptical on. He kept saying it was going to be released in July and there was like this talk that. It was going to be like the movie theater that kind of saved cinema, <laughs> you know, saved movie going experiences. And then it, they kept having to push it back. And then eventually they just released it. I think in Europe, it was uh, easier to see theaters when it first came released. And then since then in the U.S., you know, like you said, county by county, kind of depending on where you live, uh, more theaters are kind of opening up. So box office wise, I think it's like just broke even so far at this point, which for a Christopher Nolan, I mean, is fine if your budget is $200 million, but for a Christopher Nolan movie, you know, you expect like upwards of, you know, double that at least. So it is kind of a shame because I, to me, I actually, I would rank it into top three personally. So, um, well, it's also super difficult right now to break even in general. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Well, the fact that he broke even at 200 million is a testament to, uh, to lack of shittiness to his movies. Yeah, and just, it's great. I feel like often it's, I think the two things that you want in any type of art you're making is like artistic integrity and appealing to people. And often it's kind of a give and take the two. So if you, the more artsy you get, the less people are going to want to see it, the more they just want their big explosions, you know, cookie cutter kind of formulas that they, that are entertaining. And then 
conversely, the more you make the kind of cookie cutter, kind of like big explosion kind of movies that are just like mindless kind of fun, the less you're kind of saying something unique and artistic. And I think Christopher Nolan is the guy who kind of threads both needles and like has made such a name for himself by doing the unique artsy non-conventional stories that um, he's really kind of got the career anyone should kind of uh, idolize, I'd say. Yeah, so I definitely, yeah, so it's definitely worth a watch. It's definitely worth, I think, uh, a gander to, definitely, um, if I have the time for it. But, no, it's it's on there. Yeah, this is actually the second time I've seen it, so I think it's worth it. Um, if you do see it, I recommend the movie theater experience. I know you said you're busy, but I think it's worth it to see it in theaters because the effects are that big. And usually I'm not even an effects guy. I don't think I like, – I, like some people are like, is this in Dolby 10.4.1 surround sound because I can't watch it if it's not. Then, like, you know, I'm not that type of person. I'm the type of person who can be happy if, like, I have a cassette player and, like, decent car speakers, but – I think this movie kind of warrants it just because it's so big and was shot on those kind of big sounding things that uh, the movie theater experience is really the way to go for it. But, you know, I get it if you're busy. What do you think, yeah. Joe? You think, you think you'll huh? see it? You think you'll see it in theaters? No, absolutely <laughs> not. No. Like most things on this podcast, Jaw doesn't take the recommendation I give. Well, also because I don't want to get COVID because I've already had enough scares at this point where I'm like being overcautious and not going out is better. Didn't we already debunk that COVID doesn't exist? We like confirmed on this podcast that it's a like myth and that it's all fake bullshit, right? So I like my lungs. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually, um, no, well, like I mentioned, the theaters that I went to honestly were pretty empty. And, and I mean, that might not be the case everywhere, but I don't know if that changes your decision by any means. Um, yeah, it's theaters are pretty empty, so I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, but yeah, anyways, so that was my review on Tenet. Um, while we're on the topic, we were going to talk about Christopher Nolan movies. So just to kind of float through his repertoire, um, I've seen the Dark Knight trilogy, obviously. Um, Jaw has too, because, you know, we're both, you know, comic nerd, comic book nerds, kind of. I've seen Inception. I've seen Dunkirk. I've seen The Prestige and Memento. And I think you've seen something similar, correct, Jaw? Not 100% similar to that, but in, along those lines. Let me pull up that list I sent you. Uh, he did Prestige. Oh, he did do Prestige. Yes. So I've seen The Prestige, Inception. Uh, we're only talking about Lindsay Director, right? So Interstellar and Dunkirk and the Batman trilogy. Nice. So I think the ba- I think part of the reason that Christopher Nolan might be famous is the Batman trilogy because I think that hooks it. That's kind of one of those, like I was mentioning earlier, kind of not cookie cutter plots that hooks people in, but it's a popular franchise that like, if you, anyone attaches their name to it, that person automatically gets a million kind of like people eyeballs looking at them just via social media. And just like, what is this person's involvement with this franchise that I grew up loving, you know, because nostalgia is a very strong drug and kids grow up loving Batman. So personally, I think Batman is kind of like a huge thing that made him to the stage that he is now. Um, would you agree with that? Yes, I would 100% agree that Batman did put him on the map in the sense of like getting people's attention. So I think the movies that he made, like I, I've heard of movies like Memento and um, actually I haven't heard of the other one, older ones, but yeah, Me- Memento is one that I've heard of before. And so people have brought it up. So obviously he is known in the movie industry to some degree at the time. Uh, Batman, I agree that drew that attention because while well, it, it is Batman, it is something that people... Um, already at that point i already had two or three different iterations of so you had the adam west batman then you had the um uh tim burton batman then you also had the uh different ones with a uh, batman and robin and such and so those are effectively already two or three different iterations of it so now it's like all right people were familiar with it granted they're all spaced apart several decades and the last recent uh two batman at the time movies people despised and so now it's like oh, okay you got this christopher nolan guy who's making a different flair a different uh, vibe to batman that people were uh, not aware of right so at the time people were into the animated batman or into the george clooney batman yeah the bat nipples i'll never forget <laughs> yeah so people were like all right so we've gone from this comedic slash cartoon that was more serious batman to uh oh, what is this new iteration? Let's see. And then the comic book industry at that point were also, they were making that push from like, all right, we, we finally 
got the blank check to not do the stupid comedy stuff anymore. Now we can go and do a little bit more darker and serious, gritty stuff. And we're doing that now. Um, it was roughly around, like, I believe the 80s or 90s or something like that. But um, I could be getting my timelines mixed up. So, yeah. So no, that's I accurate. think he, 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 came, he came at a really good time in doing that, where it was doing something different to the conventional knowledge of people of yeah. what they knew what Batman is or was. Yeah, and I think actually Michael Keaton talked about in an interview, like saying that he, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but he said when he saw the Christopher Nolan movies, he was saying that's kind of the direction he wanted to go in after like his iterations of Batman. Because, you know, the Tim Burton ones are a little more cartoony. And uh, then with the third and fourth, I think it was Batman Forever and then Batman and Robin, they just went fucking way off the rails and just made it as cartoony as possible. But uh, what, what was cool about the Christopher Nolan movies for me, the Batman things, I think, um, it's just they made it, I think above all, to put it in one sentence, they made it like realistic. So they made it like everything that happens in like that trilogy isn't, there's not some obvious like fiction, you know, it's not like there's some like mythical being that comes out of nowhere and there's time travel or anything like, like stuff like that. Sure. Wouldn't probably happen exactly the way they did it. Cause it's a movie, but like technically there's nothing defying the laws of, physics maybe besides him getting his back broken in the third one and then recovering with a few push-ups <laughs> a month later yeah so what the uh, batman trilogy really did well in is that's so yeah so they made it a little bit more real life so it's kind of like okay how do these villains come about right so you're not going to get a random villain coming like the joker coming out of a, a pool of chemicals and become this criminally insane mastermind you're not going to get a, a person like two-face that has basically suffering from multiple personality disorder and basically being a mob boss or Bane, who's also this genius. A lot of people actually didn't know that like Bane is a genius, but only he seems like an idiot when he has the, uh, when he's hulking out with the venom drug that makes him super strong. So during this time, he, he did a good job of like creating these villains that stood for something. And, um, basically had a great character development for these villains, right? So it, it, it's what like Infinity War does is like they introduce a character that people are like, oh, this is this is a bad guy, he's just crazy. But then they actually developed something and said, no, this is a, this is a character that has layers, and there was an ascension or a descension to to their downfall. Yeah, that's always the Marvel versus DC critique, at least in terms of the movies. The Marvel, the villains are the weak spot. They're not like fully developed. And then DC always generally have the better developed villains, even though they don't have the rest of the quality kind of going on, at least in terms of uh, the like DCEU movies, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think I totally agree that the the villains are the highlight. I mean, I think if you had a look in uh, like further like going into how batman was the thing that broke chris nolan um i think or like broke him into the mainstream kind of like bigger audience i think further into the reason why the batman movies got as big as they were i think heath ledger is one of if not the biggest factors because i mean how many people were raving about heath ledger's performance rightfully so after the dark knight came out that was like all i heard in like 2008 so there's a point um the reason is that he directed a movie so well that Heath Ledger portrayed Joker in such a phenomenal way? Uh, no, I'm just like kind of making a comment that I think Heath Ledger was just like one of the most memorable, just like looking further into the movies and like moments for Christopher Nolan's career. Heath Ledger, and obviously the way he directed him and just Heath Ledger's acting style was like one of the highlights of like kind of one of the biggest kind of noteworthy like timelines for Christopher Nolan's career, you know, just that performance and just the way it was remembered, you know? I'm reflecting on it. And so compared to the other villains, then yes, Heath Ledger was the most developed and most flushed out one. Well, I think of all time too. I think everybody would agree. I mean, he's the only, like, I think he won an Oscar at that time um, or Academy Award, whatever. And uh, I think just of all time, everyone can agree. Heath Ledger's Joker was like one of the best comic portrayals of a villain ever. Um, yeah. I mean, just how many lines came from it, like the pencil trick, like, uh, do you want to know how I got these scars? Um, like, 
uh, why so serious, all these things that like people were, everyone was doing the Joker costume. So I don't know. Basic point is it was a huge thing. Um, highlight of Christopher Nolan's career, I think. Um, yeah. I love the other villains too, though. I love like Liam Neeson as Ra's al Ghul and Bane and uh, Talia al Ghul. I mean, that was a smaller character, but yeah. Yeah, Talia, they they effectively nerfed her character in a way. Kind of, but it was a cool twist. I mean, they had to to make that twist at the end of the movie. So Yeah, know. so like Bane was definitely cool because um, Bane was he, – he was a notorious enemy for Batman and part of his rogues gallery, but – um, in comparison, you're not going to be the one like, hey, let's make a movie out of Bane. Well, maybe this most recent arc that happened like a year or two ago. But like for the most part, like he isn't going to be the one that's going to come up first. Like even right now, they're going to do a Riddler one. Um, probably because there's already been enough years to forget about the Jim Carrey one, which actually wasn't that bad. His iteration uh, of Riddler wasn't that bad. But um, all right, gonna disagree there, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I mean, compare Arnold Schwarzenegger's and ice puns. I mean, they both can be bad. <laughs> well, Riddler's actually supposed to be corny with his riddles. That's the thing. He's supposed to be dorky. That's true. Um, but Jim Carrey, though, I don't know. Something. I mean, maybe it's just like association, but I, it's like seeing Will Ferrell as like a Marvel villain. I'm just like, eh, I don't know, man. <laughs> you have um, to play that part really well. But yeah, so with that said, I think Heath Ledger definitely did a great iteration of Joker. But yeah. um, trying to think. But also, yeah. Definitely with some of the, at least with Batman Begins, I think for Christopher Nolan, that was kind of his, all right, I'm still trying to figure out how to portray this Batman, this universe. Because Rashad al Ghul and having um, Liam Neeson as Rashad al Ghul, I think that was super cool, but I don't think it was as fleshed out as it could have been. Oh, interesting. I actually was pretty happy with Rashad al Ghul as a villain, but uh, I understood that people had their different opinions. But personally, I thought he was pretty, I thought... Similar to Talia al Ghul, they both had a twist. You know, like Talia al Ghul had the twist. You never knew that she was Talia al Ghul by the end of the movie until she stabs Bruce Wayne, uh, Batman. And then with Ra's al Ghul, the twist is that he's alive and he, like, wasn't, you know, he was kind of the mastermind behind all this. So I kind of like that twist. And you could say that he's underdeveloped, but I guess that with the nature of his character, you kind of risk being underdeveloped if you're going to make a twist like that so personally i was fine with it and it's kind of cool to have a little bit of mysteriousness about the character um and they did talk about his wife passing away and um whatnot so i was fine with it personally but i think his portrayal was really good too you know overall they're they're they all did a good job but then if we had to compare um between who was developed and who wasn't as developed then what's his face Heath Ledger was probably the most developed one with very fleshed out. Well, I mean, minus the part that they never revealed how he became the Joker, which was intentional. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, they were, he was originally supposed to be in the third one for a bit, but then after his passing, they obviously had to change that for you know obvious yeah. reasons. They're not going to replace him. But um, yeah. So I think uh, going back to Christopher Nolan thing, I think it's cool that Batman. I like that he made it a trilogy too, because he hasn't done any sequels in his work outside of um, Batman. Uh, I like that, you know, I think some people were kind of surprised when he announced that the third is going to be the final one. They were just thinking, why not make more? And then I like, I really like that he did too, because I like that it's a trilogy. I think I'm a big fan of trilogies in general, when you can tell stories in three parts, it makes it really interesting, compare and contrast. Um, and I like that he further kind of echoing how, like how much integrity he has for like his art and, um, being a creator, he specifically wanted to make it a three because he's saying this is the entire story I wanted to tell. I'm not going to, I can make more movies that make money like endlessly, but I'm not going to do that. I'd rather make something unique and that's really cool. Um, so, so uh, yeah, uh, I guess next movie that would make sense to talk about would be Inception, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on Inception? Uh, overall positive score? I enjoyed it. I really like the concept of it, and I like the uh, the twist at the end. Um, what I really just didn't f understand. Okay, so walking in the movie, I had no idea what it was, um, because it came out at a time where like I really didn't care for too much of a plot of a movie. But then when I watched it, I'm like, all right, this is super cool, and I really enjoyed it, and I like that twist. But walking into it, everybody told me your mind will be absolutely blown, and um, this is like the most thought provoking movie you'll see to date. Accurate. I enjoyed it and it was really good and I believe that probably should win awards. So yeah. I'll leave it at that. Okay. 
Yeah, I think uh, yeah. it's funny. If you think Inception is um, – if people thought Inception is complicated, Inception looks like basic algebra compared to uh, Tenet. Tenet's even way more complicated, I'd say. But, um, yeah, Inception, I think – I remember it came out around the time of Shutter Island. So I was kind of co- like comparing Leonardo DiCaprio movies and thinking Shutter Island was like whack and not that great. And then thinking, all right, this movie's really good. This is like a good version of what Leo could do in this role. Um, yeah, I think it was complicated, but I think the concepts are relatively simple. It's just like dreams within dreams within dreams. You just kind of got to keep track of like which dream you're looking at. And um, I think the acting's well done. One thing I like is the cast. I think, um, like I mentioned, I think uh, with every Christopher Nolan movie, he has kind of different kind of A-list people doing it. And I like that he switches it up. You know, it's not like the same person every movie. Like he does have Michael Caine in a lot of his movies, but, you know, it's not typically like the leading man. He's just like always in a supporting role for something. Uh, but this one, it's cool to see Leonardo DiCaprio. I think the cast of Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Tom Hardy, um Ken Watanabe, I think that was a really good cast. Um, oh, also, uh, what's his face? Killian Murphy, I think that was just really solid. If you're looking at his ensemble cast, I think that was one of the best ones. Um, yeah, I give it, I think the way it was, I think that's just like a perfect, like trippy, kind of deeper, kind of popcorn kind of movie. So I give it two thumbs up, no real complaints there. I think it's cool that he dealt with the idea of consciousness. Uh, that's kind of his take in it. Um, yeah. So, uh, next movie, Dunkirk. You have seen that, right? Yes. All right. Dunkirk, similar? You liked it? I enjoyed it. I think it was a good war movie. It's definitely, um, I mean, there's two ways to do a good war movie, right? There's one where you're, you're making, like, Saving Private Ryan, where there's a lot of action going on. So, like, uh, it's primarily focused on that. So, Saving Private Ryan or Black Hawk Down. So, everyone can agree that those are really good movies and really good war movies. But then there's a, on the flip side where you have, what's the one with Bradley Cooper, American Sniper. And then you yeah. have American Sniper 1917. Yeah. Is that the right number? Okay, 1917 and Dunkirk. Where it's like, all right, these are definitely more, maybe not on the violent heavy. Of course, you're going to have violence because it's freaking war. But it's more plot driven. It's more character. Uh, driven. Driven, yeah. It's more <laughs> character driven on seeing these people. Yeah. I agree. I think uh, similarly, that is cool to see because he never had like a war movie before. A lot of his movies were sci-fi and um, or just kind of like thriller for whatever reason. This is it's cool to see like a more traditional war movie. Um, And then you had like typical cast member that he's had before, like Tom Hardy and Killian Murphy were in it again. But I think the cast wasn't like I think there was a mix. At least I don't really remember like one kind of big main characters. A lot of like I don't know, lesser known kind of younger kids, I think. Let's see. It had the guy from One Direction. <laughs> oh, Harry Styles or whatever? Yeah. Did you know he was in it? Yeah, but the only reason why, because every freaking One Direction fan was screaming about it on the internet. That was probably mostly me. You know, I'm a big One Direction fan. Oh, that 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 may that may skew my feed, yes. <laughs> no, I don't think we knew each other then. That was yeah. That was right. Well, actually, that was right around the time we met. All right. Yeah. Um, so I was like, wait, that, that's a little bit more on the recent end for sure. Yeah. Michael Caine was in the movie. Um, and then other than that, it's a lot of other kind of Irish and English actors, like really young people. Uh, do you know, uh, did you ever watch uh, the Super Unrelated, but Black Mirror, the uh, Bandersnatch episode? Yes. Yeah. The main character from that was apparently in Dunkirk, which I didn't know when I was watching Bandersnatch. Oh, nice. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, so Dunkirk, I think the concept, I think the, I think it's unique spin on the war movie, like having the timer, like having the time, the ticking clock kind of measuring where they're at and kind of building up that sense of suspense was really cool, uh, like kind of take on a war movie. And um, I think the cinema, like cinematography wise, this is one of the best, like most beautiful Christopher Nolan movies, at least just like seeing all the like beaches and just kind of areas, I think was really crisp and uh, you I mean, all the Christopher Nolan movies have really great cinematography, but this one I think kind of stands out to me a little bit more. Uh, I mean, I don't recall the actual plot, to be honest, but I do remember enjoying it and definitely keeping it more suspenseful. Um, Definitely portraying the entire Dunkirk. It definitely was like a very mature movie, right? It it was very well developed. And so that's adding on to what we established before, where um, when it comes to a lot of these movies outside of Batman, 
he really developed very he's he's basically trying different things he's he's picking at different so from his sci-fi stuff he's choosing concepts and seeing all right let's see what we can do with experimentally um and such and so this is definitely one of the more realism or realistic movies that he's yeah. done and definitely the way it was portrayed is definitely on the more mature end yeah absolutely no i and that's cool that because i think prior to that it's almost like every other movie besides the batman trilogy has been kind of like a sci-fi thriller movie so it's really cool that he said like like i want to do something distinctly different i want to do a war movie with my own kind of unique take on it and a like more challenging kind of theme with a like the timer like timing like the events of the movie so you're kind of like in that state of suspense for most of it and like i mentioned with his uh revenue uh how the fact that like the tenant just broke even is not usual for him based on you know coronavirus things but uh the budget for this movie was 100 to 150 million million and box office made 526.9 million dollars jesus fuck so one movie I do want to compare to is Midway, where what Midway tried to do failed and what Christopher Nolan did was successful. So what Midway did, what I, the, the, the one thing that they did that I liked was basically they had a progression of timeline of like uh, the Pacific Theater for World War II. Dunkirk, I believe, was World War I, right? So um, wait, was it World War I or World War II? I wish I knew. <laughs> Damn, we are uneducated Americans. We're um, not history majors. It's fine. 1940. Uh, oh, that's World War II then. Um, so, so, like, with Midway, you saw the Pacific Theater. It was real, in the sense of, like, seeing the calendar and that. It was cool. And you're seeing the Jap- Japan side and you're seeing the American side. Um, but then uh, they're trying to tie different stories together to make it to weave this movie right whereas dunkirk they're weaving stories from different characters and they wove it very well it was enjoyable it it didn't feel choppy it it felt more um like there was a point to these people whereas when i was watching midway there was like i don't know why you're there if i remember there's also another famous like person in there um in midway or midway nick jones uh, nick jones was in there yeah and believe maybe some guy from i guess he might not have been oh darren chris yeah he was in there and so some of the their characters was kind of like i don't know why you're in there but then whereas the for um dunkirk it was like all right these are definitely tangent stories but at least they're woven and portrayed a lot better where it's like oh this is what was going on as opposed to these people seem like they're protagonists in midway and i don't know why you're there but you are not doing anything substantial yeah, I think uh, I just thinking of <laughs> Harry Styles and Dunkirk, and then Nick Jonas in Midway is like, is that a new rule for every war movie? You have to have some fucking teeny bopper from five years ago. <laughs> That's weird, weird coincidence. New cardinal rule. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, yeah, and uh, moving down the line, I think uh, next is the I think the most controversial one I would say of Christopher Nolan's career. Controversial and just not really. There's just like different opinions. Like if I had to pick one that has the most like kind of like complaints about it i would say it's interstellar um at least funny enough it's not the movie that i've actually seen so have you seen it yes okay so i can't talk too much about this maybe you can talk more on it but uh i haven't seen it but from what i've heard there's more complaints as far as the physics and just like something connecting like that's they kind of jumped the shark a little bit with like love being the thing that like connects people from different universes or something like that. That's kind of what I've heard and that it's, there's more plot holes than other movies and it's just the one that doesn't fully kind of uh, nail the landing, but obviously still like a really entertaining, unique movie and big concept that he kind of took on. But, uh, and then, you know, starring Matthew McConaughey and Hathaway, you know, more variety in his cast again, like actors you haven't seen kind of lead. Matthew McConaughey hadn't been in a Christopher Nolan movie up till then. So, uh, I don't know. What's your opinion on Interstellar? That's the thing is that, I mean, I, I didn't dig into a controversy too much because of all the people that I, I did hear anything from Interstellar, they liked it. Huh. Um, so I watched it in college. One of my uh, friends was an engineering major. So he was, he's really into that stuff. And so when he watched it, he was super excited because he's fascinated by science. And he's like, oh man, this is all like theoretical physics. It's great. But at the same time, unless you're like an actual like astrophysicist or like theoretical physics major or doctor, 
you're able to tear apart this movie, right? So maybe, oh, that's not true based on that theory of relativity or Newton's whatever. I don't know. I'm just making that up. Um, but at the end of the day, it goes on the concept of like different dimensions, right? So two things, one, like relativism and dimension. So relativism as in like, for example, you go into a different world, right? And time may pass differently. Five minutes here, maybe five years in our current world. So spoiler alert, um, Matthew McConaughey, when he's out there traveling, right? He's, to him, he only aged maybe like a few years, maybe a decade. But then to Earth time, it's been at least one or two generations, maybe even three generations. I forgot, depending on how you count generations. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, there's that. That I think was portrayed right. I could be wrong. I don't know. Um, then there's the other where like Matthew McConaughey did, went to a different dimension and heard different voices, right? Interacting with him. But then he was also to, able to interact with the past in a different dimension to set the motion of his travels and such. And so that almost alludes to the concept of like, well, there's definitely a higher being, a higher order, but you can't prove it because it's in a different dimension. And so, I mean, I'm not sure if that's exactly what people are discussing, but at the same time, that also leaves room for, at the end of the day, a higher being. Higher being or higher beings, plural. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I'm not sure if that's what people are upset about, but then again, at the end of the day, this is all theoretical physics. They are probably proven to some degree of physics that we understand but at the end of the day we don't fully understand the specific science and why it's called sci-fi so for example star wars if you actually talk about physics lasers cannot which we call it make sound nothing really burns in space because there's no oxygen to burn um ships when they travel right Technically, once you hit light speed, you don't need to use fuel anymore because once you're in motion, you stay in motion until you hit something. Mm. Um, but it's sci-fi, right? Well, yeah, but at the same time, I think Star Wars is like, we all know it's like silly, fun stuff. But Christopher Nolan, I think his whole MO has always been like uh, making like the more realistic kind of take on that, you know? And even if it's like fiction, like there's kind of like you can make there's ways you can tell fictional stories that seem more kind of like you go along with them based on how it's told, you know? Um, And I think, you know, compared to the Star Wars, no one one would, you know, debate that this is a more scientifically sound movie than Star Wars by any means. But uh, I was looking at Wikipedia, (laughs) the most legit source. And uh, it looks like the, some of the criticisms from like, there was some astrobiologist who said, uh, it would take millions of years to reduce the atmosphere's oxygen content on Earth. So, like, you know, the Earth, the way they make it in the early scenes, that is, like, what what the concept of the movie is, like, they're running out of resources, right, and, like, oxygen is depleting? Yes. Yeah, so basically in the movie, he's saying that, like, that would take millions of years to happen. He said that gravity should have been pulled down. Gravity should have pulled down the ice clouds. Uh, let's see, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh let's see he said it's theoretically possible to interact with the past and we don't really know what's in a black hole so take it and run with it so there you go neil degrasse tyson putting a better spin on it yeah so i'm definitely reading a time article right now so there's one where um this one theory is it true yes that's true um there's another one where am i missing um something about wormhole mostly true there's one where they say that it's false, which is, I think, the one you're talking about surviving a black hole. But then they say it's false, except dot, dot, dot. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's like, there's rules, there's exceptions, not everybody. And it's very difficult to experiment in these different scenarios, right? Because nobody has gone through a, a wormhole or a black hole and survived. Nobody has yeah. gone through one, period. So at the end of the day, well, it's all right. A lot of this is theoretical. And yes, like I've heard the argument of like, if you say theoretical, it doesn't just mean theoretical. It actually is backed by something. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it goes back to the end of the argument of like, we haven't sent anybody through a black hole. And the word that this argument that keeps using is spaghettified. The right way. I've never heard that word spaghettified. Yes, spaghettification, which does not sound good, but uh, what does that mean? 
So it's basically saying like if you get spaghettified going through a black hole, you'll probably die. But then there's uh, if a black hole is big enough, you wouldn't get spaghettified and um, you'd be able to get out of that black hole or something like that. Ah, okay, gotcha. That's the thing that that at the end of the day it becomes that argument where it's like, but under this condition, blah blah, and based off our science, that wouldn't happen. Okay, well, what if it's all just that, right? Yeah. And to yeah, progress the story, this is a story that they're trying to build. And also the message that you try to send is we screwed up our earth, which is the driving theme of this movie. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like, it's, yeah, there's no, like, there's no confirmation on exactly what happens with black holes and wormholes. So this is just like a take on it. And yes, there's not going to be a hundred percent scientific accuracy here, but um, you know, this is just a perspective on it. And I guess just, I guess because it involves us bigger topics, more scientific people got involved in, uh, wanted to say something about it, but honestly, I think lar- a largest, a large part of the uh, controversy I heard was from Honest Trailers. <laughs> they really don't seem to like that movie so much. So, yeah. So, so when it comes to Interstellar, I don't think the it's one of those things where it's like I don't hear the criticism as being as concrete or as like solid as they can be. It's it sounds more just like you're just picking holes at it because you're upset for some reason. Like you may be a specialist in this particular field. But that's the thing is that when it comes to specialists, even with COVID right now, we have different specialists arguing the effectiveness of a face mask. Yeah. And the World Health Organization straight up said in the beginning, like, you shouldn't use masks. Granted, the general surgeon said it was because of supply and demand, but it's like, nah, everything's fine. Yeah, that's another wormhole of a topic. (laughs) No, exactly. But what I'm saying is a specialist can't agree even though they may be specialists in the same field yeah um, yeah you just might be butthurt because it went against your dissertation or something that's true um but yeah so when it comes to interstellar it's a it is like you said it is a iteration of a concept of these scientific concepts to make it into a cool movie of environmentalism um and it definitely is a little bit long and definitely unless you're like into the science stuff because this is definitely more science quote-unquote science driven than other stuff it's not exactly the most flashy movie unless you're on freaking drugs then yes um as you should be budget wise let's see 165 million dollars box office any guess what it would be 600 uh close yes 696.3 million so also almost about 100 off damn yeah even more than uh, Dunkirk. Interesting, because this came out before. I guess this is more of a, a sci-fi stuff, I guess. Big sci-fi stuff generally is what kind of brings the crowds, I guess. I think but, uh, I know a lot of people are kind of turned off by the concept of of war movies, because it's like, oh, it's all the same. It's all yeah. going to be like, if America, if it's an American army, then it's like, oh, it's we're probably somebody died, and um, we're doing this to get back, because war is justified in that sense. If it's World War II, oh, we're fighting Hitler again. <laughs> so a lot of people are tired by the war theme so as long as they do something different then it's a little bit more on the enjoyable end yeah and i think people too generally if you're gonna ask the average person um i think people would rather watch a big sci-fi movie than learn something <laughs> or read a book so uh yeah. and then yeah so so I think anyways was, yeah interstellar i think it was a it was an enjoyable movie but you do have to uh be willing to sit through something that you're not familiar with because it is on the geekier end like not even nerdy end it's like the geekier end and be willing to accept these different theories for the the universe of the movie because it will question like because the idea of like multiple dimensions does exist but because it's a different dimension it's like if you're drawing how do you imagine depth or how do you imagine time if you're drawing because that's 2d but yeah. then we're in 3D where we have time and space. How do we imagine a fourth, fifth, tenth, whatever? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So I think I really want to see, I really want to see it personally. I kind of wish I had seen it before this just so I can kind of add that to the list of Nolan movies. But uh, based on what I've heard, I think I'm expecting good things. And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> good movie overall. Yeah. I guess we'd both rate it. So the last uh, one we could talk about is Prestige. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to quickly go into Memento, actually, just because that was his first one. But uh, okay. you haven't seen Memento, right? I don't know what it is about. Yeah, so it's actually, they introduced this in a psych class that uh, I took in college. Um, that's the first time I heard of it. Um, it was a class on uh, cognitive psychology. 
and memory and like what the brain can do. And basically the movie is about anterograde amnesia, which essentially just means you can't form new memories. So um, Guy Pierce is the main actor in this movie. Um, you're familiar with him, right? Yes. Yeah. So he was uh, in Iron Man 3 as the villain there. Uh, he was in LA Confidential. He's done a good amount of things. Good actor. And uh, essentially the, yeah, the film is just, um, he can't, he has this event happen to him and as a result of it, he can't form any new memories. So to compensate for that, he'll like tattoo himself and try to make like clues to himself to remember later. And when you're watching it, it's uh, very confusing if you're not paying attention because essentially you're just having all these clues and the way they show it is kind of to give the feel of what he's experiencing. So you're kind of figuring out through his way. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I think that really sets the tone for Christopher Nolan because that was like his first, not his first movie, but like one of his first kind of breakthroughs. Um, but just kind of weird concepts like that that you have to pay attention more for uh, kind of sets the tone for his style. I don't know. Based on that, you think you'd see it? I mean, it's Christopher Nolan. So, I mean, maybe not be one of his more polished works, but definitely it'll probably be more of like, it's going to be substantial. Yeah. Substance, it's, yeah. It's the most like... I, I feel like if you watch Inception, Prestige, uh, Interstellar, you know, Tenet, all these movies, you see the cinematic style. This one is the first one where obviously for, you know, basic reasons, he's a lot less like budget involved there because he's a newer filmmaker at the time. So you kind of notice it. It's interesting that it almost doesn't feel like a Christopher Nolan movie in terms of like the cinematography and how it looks. It looks a lot more like raw and just kind of like down to earth with the budget. But uh, it's the concepts wise, it's still like, you know, typical Christopher Nolan kind of more complicated, but more rewarding kind of concepts going on. So yeah, I'm curious to see what you think of it. Cause I didn't enjoy it as much as I was hoping, but I can respect what it was going for. And I think it like really had a unique concept that was admirable and like that he went after. Um, yeah. Looking at the budget, you know, we we're talking about, he had like a hundred million for his like recent movies. This movie only had 9 million <laughs> and made $39.9 million. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Definitely. So Batman definitely helped us career. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Look at us making fun of a guy with a $9 million budget. <laughs> but we're able to analyze that. Anyways, so yeah, I know. Um, yeah, Prestige now? Or? Yeah, that yeah, works. Okay, so Prestige. Um, I liked it. I really liked it. It was it was one of the, like, the first movies I ever saw it was in middle school or high school when it came out where I'm like, dude, my mind is generally fucked right now. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Like it was like one of the first, <clears throat> I think that was like my first movie. I think there that time it was like prestige and the illusionist or something. Uh, those yeah. are like the magician movies or something like that. And both yeah. those movies were done well. And um, prestige obviously isn't remembered more because it was so the twist was much bigger, but I think that was like my introduction to like, oh, I want to watch more of these like more mature movies that has these twists. Yeah, actually looking on Wikipedia, it looks like that same year, 2006, there was The Illusionist and Scoop. So there's three movies all about magicians. Yeah, so it came out during an interesting time. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, that's funny too, because uh, Scoop has Hugh Jackman. So he was in two movies about magicians in 2006. <laughs> that's funny. But uh yeah, going along uh, with that, I I only saw it once, and I remember being, like, really entertained by it for uh, the entire duration of the movie. I'm like, this is really good. This is class, uh, classic Christopher Nolan, and kind of a cool take. It's, like, historical fiction, kind of, because uh, I don't, you know, I don't think this actually happened. <laughs> I could be wrong. Um, Maybe there isn't a vat of bodies underneath a muse, underneath a, a stage where you're just constantly cloning yourself just for a parlor trick for all we know there very well could be but i just feel like it's not really come out you know alex jones might be talking about it on a show right now you never know <laughs> yeah it's not like he has more viewers damn him no but yeah i don't know if he does he got pulled off youtube so who knows <laughs> uh but anyways yeah chris uh christian bale hugh jackman um I think the only thing that, from what I recall, um, I didn't like the ending so much. I thought the, I don't want to, well, I don't know. It's been like over 10 years. Maybe we should just reveal it. There was something with the twin in Christian Bale, right? That was kind of the ending. Yes. Yeah. Wait, actually, I don't remember, to be honest. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So from our 
barely recalling this movie uh, ending. I remember there was something with a twin, and I remember thinking, like, eh, that seems a little bit of a, like, not, they were building up for this, like, mystery of, like, how this is happening, and then the ending was just kind of Christopher Nolan, had, or not Christopher Nolan, sorry, Christian Bale had a twin, and, um, or something along those lines. So, to be honest, this is another movie I have to rewatch to really kind of see if I was justified in feeling that way, or if, like maybe there's a deeper context I missed because I actually was talking to a friend who said that the twist does make sense and that like it's kind of if you watch the whole movie with that with those glasses on you can kind of see this coming and it makes sense at the end so yeah I might do that I think I need to do Interstellar and uh, Prestige rewatch and then you should watch Memento <laughs> and Tenet for sure all right. So overall, if we had to summarize Christopher Nolan's career, uh, I think we both agree he's one of the best uh, directors for sure. If not just for our time of all time, I definitely say for all time, uh, maybe a little biased as we live in this age, but I think he's with Tenet. I really think he's taking film to the next level in terms of like, just thinking like in terms of the scope of like concepts of what he's doing, the portrayal in terms of the, how the scale of how, you know, the type of scenes they're doing. There's like an airport crash scene. There's a big, almost like military fight scene. There's, you know, the stuff with the reversing time. I think he's really doing shit that hasn't been done before. And it's like stepping up the bar for other people to do and himself. So who knows what he'll do next. Um, he generally makes movies every three years. So I guess 2023, we should expect something, right? <laughs> Whenever he feels inspired to do the next. Yeah, it seems like he does make movies at a cadence of three years, though, because I think 2017 was Dunkirk. Um, 2015 was Interstellar, and then 2012 was Dark Knight Rises, and then 2010 was Inception. So, around you know, around that kind of parameter. But, uh, yeah, Chris Nolan, we give our thumbs up, so good shit. <laughs> 10 out of 10. All right. 9 out of 10. Be- beautiful human being. I'm sure he's a delight to work on set, too. He seems like a nice guy. <laughs> Were you saying that sarcastically? No, he really does seem like a nice guy. Like I've heard, like Quentin Tarantino's a nightmare, and it was just like, just do the fucking scene, you know. But like oh. Christopher Nolan, like I don't know, but he always seems nice in interviews that I see. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting Christopher Nolan or David Cameron mixed up. But then, if I recall correctly, let me just look it up right now. Um, David, you mean wait, David Cameron? James Cameron? I don't know who's who did Avatar. Sorry, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, James Cameron is like known for being a total dick. Christopher Nolan, uh, is he a dick? <laughs> As we have awkward silence. I love it. Let's just take it all in. Okay, James Cameron is definitely a dick. Uh, Christopher yeah. Nolan, I don't think he is. At yeah, least on like my initial Google search. I haven't heard any reports that he's like a difficult person to work with or anything like that. Or like, he's like intense. I'm sure he's like rightfully intense. Like he's, you know, he's the kind of scope that kind of the seriousness you'd probably expect from a director who's dealing with like 500 or a hundred million dollar budgets. But yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, like a David Cameron or Quentin Tarantino personalities that are a little more eccentric and kind of can be kind of like stressful to work with. But uh, I don't know. Chris just seems like a good guy. And that's a good note to end on. <laughs> Um, thanks for listening again to yet another episode. We're almost at 50. This is episode 44, right? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I think this might be 44 or 45. All right. We're almost at 50. We're almost surviving 2020. Can we do it? Will the podcast survive 2020? Who knows? But tune in for another episode to find out. All right. All right. With that said, bye, guys.